Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. One ball and two strikes from Deakman. Mullins into center field. This should do it. Marco going back. It does not matter. Adley Rutschman will score. And the Orioles, who clinched a postseason berth just a few minutes ago, seal their fate with a walk-off win. Hello and welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, we should, I mean, probably just start with the Orioles because they've been so ridiculously crazy all year. And it just seems like every time I'm looking up at the scoreboard, because I'm like trying to monitor all of these games and I'm trying to figure out who's going to end up where. Uh, I know they've already at least clinched a postseason spot. We just don't know exactly which spot that's going to be. But it just seems like no matter what, I'm like, okay, maybe they'll start to slow down now. And they really just don't. And it's been ridiculously fun to watch this team all season long just emerge into this fierce contender, fierce opponent, whatever you want to call it. Um, and how it's just like, they're one of the best teams in baseball this year. It's not just they're in like a AL Central type of situation and they're just making their way through. No, no, no. They're in one of the most competitive divisions leading that way. And it's just, there's not many adjectives left to describe what it's been like to watch them this year. So we're here taping on Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday, a lot of day games going on. So as you were singing their praises, I'm watching them in the top of the first inning against Christian Javier, against the Astros, already with a run across. Obviously, by the time people are listening, they'll know how this game has gone. But the Orioles have taken the first two of the series against the Astros. And, you know, the Astros aren't the overwhelming American League favorite that they were for the last handful of years, but I still feel like facing them, taking the first two games of the series, winning that game on Monday, back-to-back games where they won in the ninth inning with a comeback, it's kind of a litmus test of just how good this team is and who they can compete with. And as you said, they've been so much fun to watch. They have so much youthfulness. And I'm just so happy for Orioles fans, for everybody involved. I mean, obviously, I've mentioned before on this podcast, one of my best friends in the world, J.D. Guaz, is a huge Orioles fan. That's how we became friends 12 years ago in college over baseball and over him rooting for the Orioles and 
the trials and tribulations of baseball fandom. Yeah. And so it's just so exciting for me to see this through his eyes, to see it through the eyes of a really, really excited, knowledgeable, and happy baseball fan, and knowing that this is what these teams have the power to bring to people, because you and I, we see this through our professional lens, and I think you and I, more than others, maybe, and our roles really identify with that happiness and excitement. But we don't always see the straight fandom, the straight, those eyes through that lens, through those glasses, however you want to say it. And so I've been so lucky to be able to witness what the Orioles have done, not just this year, but over the last few years, through JT's eyes in a way. And I do want to say, like, when the team hired Michael Wise and when they transitioned to this new front office, it was known that they were going to try and develop the team in the in the image of the Astros, right? You might have to take things might not be great for a few years, but it's going to end up better. And that's why I love this set. So they became the second team in MLB history to go from a 110-loss season to a playoff berth in a three-season span, joining the Astros, who did so from 2013 to 15. So, you know, they set out to mimic them in certain ways. I don't know if they set out to do it so exactly and precisely. But it's been really fun to watch. I mean, I'm trying to think back to the beginning of the year, back when spring training, when we're all trying to figure out who was going to be what. Um, And I thought the Orioles would be better. And I'm trying to remember in that moment what I truly thought, because now it's also skewed because I know what happens. But I I knew the Orioles would be better. And it seemed like last year, especially with all the Adley Rushman stuff, like just the, the hype that was building around this team, it seemed like they were on that trajectory. But like, I don't think I expected it this year or I mean, even I, maybe like a little wild card, I wouldn't have been surprised by. But to see the way that they actually were, do you remember what you thought about this team coming into the year? I'm trying to remember. I know that I had the Yankees and the Rays being good. I know I thought the Blue Jays would be good. I guess I probably figured they would be that fourth odd team out. I really can't remember. I knew they would be better. We knew they were much better than we expected last year, and they didn't anticipate they would be better than that. But nobody, nobody outside of their front office saw this coming in this way this year. And I just think that makes it even better. And you know, even over the last few weeks, they've shown how they handle adversity, obviously, with Felix Batista's injury. Their bullpen has certainly uh, shaken a bit, but they haven't crumbled. They're still there. Shintaro Fujinami, Yenier Kano getting it done for them. So we'll see how that serves them in October. You know, I think I may have been higher on them for October two months ago only because Batista was healthy. 
but this is a team with so many different moving parts in a really good way that it's hard to count them out. I mean, uh, Ryan O'Hearn, who was basically cast off from the Royals, had a hit in each of his first seven play appearances of this series against the Astros. He was also the guy with the key of bat in their walk-off on Sunday for Sunday was hilarious because they and the Rays had already clinched postseason spots because of the game you were at. Because the Guardians beat the Rangers in the top of the ninth in the Orioles-Rays game, both teams had technically clinched the playoffs. But it was still this tight game. The Orioles ended up winning via walk-off. And they had already clinched, but they celebrated that, and of course, because their game was over. But anyway, Ryan O'Hearn has been really good for them. I mean, it's just any team that has guys top to bottom like him who have found themselves and are really, really succeeding, it's hard to count a team like that out in October, even if they're overwhelmingly good closer. May or may not be available, may or may not be himself. We'll see what happens there. All right. I don't think there's any easy way to transition into Shohei Otani right now because I feel like it's partially our fault anyway. So uh, we took the blame for that last week. But it's just, I I think it's been really the focal point of the last few days. It just seems like every time I pull up social media there's a video of Otani's agent speaking on something and there's a clip being cut of something about what his future's like what he's going through he obviously just had surgery and uh is starting that recovery process it looks like he should be able to be back in the lineup in 2024 back to pitching in 2025 oh gosh though that headline just stings even though it Yes, you can be optimistic and you think that we're getting all of this back, but it's still, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime type of player. And to see this be the end of such a special season, right going into a free agency mania that this is going to be over the next few months, and then obviously the weight that we all need to now have to get back to this two-way superstar. It's just, it's a big blow for baseball, even though it is great to know that he'll at least, as long as his recovery goes to plan, be back in the lineup next year. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it perfectly. When he first got hurt, my first reaction, even before before the oblique injury, right? When he had the UCL tear, you just think, man, I'm so sad for baseball as a sport, so sad for fans overall. And then he had this oblique issue, they kept holding him out, and eventually it ended up being, okay, we're going to shut down the season, he's done for the year. And that ended up being good because he could get that surgery and start being on that road to recovery. But I do want to talk about, he is going to win MVP. I mean... I don't think we have any question of that. Obviously, guys like Corey Seager and Julio Rodriguez have had really great years in the AL, but I don't want anyone to forget what Shohei Otani did. And if he does win MVP, he will do yet another historic thing, which is, of course, just what he does at this point. But 
he will have missed the Angels' final 25 games. Only two players in baseball history since these words began have missed their, their team's final 10 games or more, so however many consecutive games at the end of the season, two in the year that they miss, and one MVP or Saya. The only MVP to do it was Mike Trout. For these Angels in 2019, he missed the final 19 games. And then Jim Palmer in 1976 won the Cy Young and missed the last 11 games. So that probably amounts to two starts. So, Shohei Otani, if and when he wins the LMVP award, will miss the most games in the season of anyone who went on to win MVP. And I know maybe it sounds like I'm just coming up with another step, but I think it's important to contextualize just how good he was. That he will basically miss the final month, and it won't matter. He will still be far and away in the LMVP. And I was working on something the other day for a World Series program about our Red Bollinger, our Green Angels reporter, wrote a story about Notani that'll be in that. And uh, I put together a bunch of Otani stats that are just going to be on the page with it. And you go back and look at the amount of things he did this year. He hit the hardest hit home run we've seen by anyone in the game. They pitched, cracked by Sackhouse. That was on August 23rd and a 115.7 mile an hour home run. He had the most home runs in this season by anyone to win at least 10 games as a pitcher. Most home runs in this season by anyone to throw at least one shutout. Second most home runs uh, by anyone to have at least 100 strikeouts on the mound behind only himself in 2021 and himself in 2022 is third on the list. He had a 1.220 OPS, the highest by any player in games he pitched uh, since 1901. So that OPS only in games where he pitched 1.220 OPS on days when he was on the mound. Just unreal. And by the way, taking away even the two-way part, he had the third fewest games by anyone. To 40 homers and 15 stolen bases in a single season. That's not even a two-way set. And then you think of the fact that he was also pitching every fifth day. I could keep going. <laughs> this Google Doc is four pages. But the point being, he just did so many incredible things. And I'm sad for all of us we didn't get that final 25 games of it. But we got so much, and he got so much out this season, and it was wonderful. I want to back up to when you said that you're not just trying to pick up like a make up like another random stat on Otani, because I want to one say you are the queen of this needs to be relevant, and you will never come up with an irrelevant stat or just something that is just putting numbers together. Um, to just try to fill 
space in an article. You are not going to just try to pad your own point by pushing and forcing numbers to make sense. I know I have asked questions where I'm hoping that numbers would make sense and I will get a response back from you and you're like, I don't know, this one seems a little too obscure, maybe not. So no, we all know if it's coming from you, it's not just the made up for stat, one. But two, I think it's important to highlight that and to say just how incredible of a season he's having if he still wins the MVP and is missing that much time because I know the people in Cleveland who have the MVP votes immediately looked up when this news came out and they're like, uh, he's, he can still be the MVP, right? Like everyone, it was just so clear cut. It's been clear cut for a very long time this season. Um, and so it just seemed wrong to be this early before the end of the season to have an injury pop up and know how much time he will miss and to think he's still a slam dunk winner. It feels wrong just because of the precedent that's been set of, okay, if these guys miss a big chunk of time, usually that, I don't know, decreases their legitimacy of their case, whatever it might be. And he just, it's not. It's not the same for him. And so I think it's important to drive home the fact that, yes, this is more than any other player would have missed to end the season and still win because this is the crucial time where everyone's staring every single day of like, okay, prove to me that you should win this award, um, even though it is obviously accumulation of a full season. But these are the crucial days where everyone's like about to vote. And it's like, all right, let's. what's the difference maker? And he doesn't even need to be in the lineup right now because it just is so clear cut from what he did this year. And it just, to me, it doesn't make a difference. Well, it's so interesting because that's why I looked at Dan Neer, right? Because there have been plenty of MVPs, position players or primary position players. He's kind of weird because normally I would say non-pitchers to get rid of guys who made 30 stars, but obviously he is a pitcher. But just in the history of MVPs, looking at guys who weren't pitchers, there have been a handful of guys who went, who played in fewer games, or played in fewer, a lower percentage of their team's games. But as you said, it's kind of about when you miss it, right? If not for Otani, Corey Seager, who missed a ton of time in the middle of the year, very likely could end up the LMVP. He didn't miss that time at the end of the year, and if the Rangers make the playoffs, he will be a key part of it. So he was able to be there during that playoff push and that awards push. But it's really interesting if you look back. So I was curious, he's ended up having played in about 83% of the Angels game. And I was thinking, okay, is that particularly low for a non-pitcher? George Bratt in 1980 played 117 of 162 games, 72%, the lowest of anybody non-pitcher to win MVP. And if you look at his stats, I mean, he completely deserved it. No question, but I'm just looking at the list right now, and I see 10 guys to win MVP 
the year where they play in a lower percentage of their team's games than Otani will have this year. But again, that difference is they miss games early in the year, in the middle of the year, as opposed to at the end. So it's just really interesting to think about. But, I mean, <laughs> he did so much that's not even a consideration. So we'll see how it goes. But an amazing season. You know, it's upsetting for baseball for all of us that we don't get to see him pitch next year. But he was so much fun to watch it that, you know, it'll still be great next year and there will be so much anticipation for 2025. So I can't wait for that. All right, let's take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we can talk more postseason. We can get into some Juan Soto. I feel like it's been a long time since I've said that name. So let's get into some famous Sarasota stats when we come back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah, and we have like so much, I don't know, like there's so much to figure out with this postseason all across the board. I really, like the AL West is a a mess right now. Everyone, it just seems like every single day that lead could change, um, and you have no idea it's going to come down to the wire, wire. And you go on to the other side in the National League, and it's even crazier, and I don't know how that's possible, but you're looking at this wild card race, um, and you have just as close of a battle as you're possibly going to get in all of this. Um, and so it's probably best that we try to just break it down and look at it and try to figure out what we think and also have a friendly reminder that if you're confused, because we're getting confused as we're watching all of this, uh, because there are no more game 163s to break things up and to try to determine who's going to be getting into the postseason, who gets to be seated where. It's all tiebreakers now, and it all comes down to head-to-head records of those two teams who are in tiebreakers, and that's really, really hard to keep up with when there's so many teams. And so MLB.com has thankfully done a great job of keeping this all sorted out for us. And I know I link this type of stuff in my newsletters as much as I can. I know the Guardians aren't really in it, but um, 
for everyone trying to keep track of the postseason stuff, I, I try to link like the tiebreaker section or just like every single night they have an updated outlook of the postseason. If it ended today, here's what the bracket would look like. I think all of that stuff is super helpful for everyone trying now that we still have these extended playoffs and there's more teams and there's more rounds. You have that wild card round now of that three game series. This stuff is super helpful for all of us who are in baseball every single day. So I think it's even more helpful for maybe a casual fan who's just trying to check in and be like, oh, what's the postseason going to look like this year? And you see the mess that is the NL wildcard race. So a friendly reminder to go visit on MLB.com and check out the headline that is permanently posted there about MLB postseason tiebreaker scenarios. That's all there. But Sarah, what has, have you sort of taken away from this ridiculous final few weeks of chaos in the NL wildcard race. I mean, it's so much fun. You know, obviously I talked about fandom earlier. There's two big, really, really dedicated baseball fans in my life who are dedicated to a team. Or JT, who I mentioned, the Orioles fan. And of course, my mother, the Giants fan. And as of this recording, the Giants are three games out of that Walker spot. That final Walker spot has been a eventual season for sure. But I'm looking at this, and you know, we're pretty sure at this point, Phillies are going to have that top spot. And then we have this mishmash of Max, the Cubs, the Merlins, the Reds, and then the Giants there. I really, really have no idea who this is going to end up with. I think the Dimebacks are really determined to show that when they're leading the division earlier this year, everyone thought, oh, they're too young, it won't last, they're arriving early, and then they had a pretty precipitous fall. And it seems like that team is really motivated to say, yes, we had that. Yes, we lost that lead, but we're still going to get there and make noise. It's a really, really fun team to watch. So I am thinking they might end up with one this last year. I was thinking the Cubs, and then they got swept over the weekend by the Diamondbacks. But I do think the Cubs' offense is pretty... um imposing even though they don't have a lot of home runs the marlins are certainly a fun story and to be doing this in a year where the reigning cy young winner did not get off to a great start initially is really a testament to the entire team but i'm not sure i see that team making i mean i have no idea and the reds are so much fun they're young and they're exciting they're explosive with L.A. De La Cruz, with Hunter Green, now back. But I mean, it's so hard. But as you said, I want to make sure everybody knows about these tiebreaker pages on MLMA.com on the homepage. It is up there at any point, this tiebreaker page. And if you go to the standings, there's actually a tab for it. It says regular season, wall card. And then tiebreakers. And if you click there, it tells you which teams hold not just the head to head, but they also tell you because the next tiebreaker in a certain situation is the intra division record. 
So it tells you one that will be in the case of a three-way tie. And again, I mean, we're talking about this with the adult. It's very likely to figure in in the AL as well. Maybe fewer teams involved, but right now, with the wild card as it stands this second, there are four teams for three spots. I mean, I think it's good for baseball to continue to have different teams in the postseason. And we're obviously starting to see that this year when you don't have the usual big dogs like the Yankees and the Red Sox and these teams who are usually at the top every single year always finding their way into the postseason. But I think it would be... I think it would be really fun, although it would be really fun to have L.A. De La Cruz in the postseason to get that on a national stage because we've heard so much. And I think that as a just a baseball fan in general on social media, you hear about this name, you hear about his speed, you hear about all of these things. I think to have him on a national platform would be awesome, and I think it would do a lot of good for this sport. But I still, I think just coming at it from... Like, let's spread the love a little bit here. To think of the the Arizona Diamondbacks being one of these teams, I mean, I, I think I remember, was it last year that MLB, for MLB.com, we did stat of the days, and we were trying to come up with different stats every single day. And I think I remember um, our Arizona writer Steve Gilbert telling me that he would bug you all the time trying to come up with any stat that would be remotely positive because it was just such a difficult time to try to come up with stuff and to think just a couple months later they could be in this position where they're in the postseason that's fun to me and I think that those types of teams can get the bandwagon and not a bad way bandwagon fan has such a negative connotation but to get bandwagon fans where it's like, okay, my team didn't make it into the postseason. Who can I root for? And you can you can hop onto a, an underdog team like that. I think that's an easy team to, to be able to sort of root for and continue um, to have an interest once your team gets knocked out or if your team didn't make the postseason. So I think that's ty- those types of teams are really great for baseball. So um not looking at the X's and O's of any of this, I think it would be fun to have like the Arizonas or the Miamis or just different teams where fan bases have not been able to enjoy these types of moments for a long time. But I think stars like Ellie De La Cruz would really, really benefit um, from being in the national spotlight. So I think that this race being as close as it is, I think is going to be great to have this come down to the wire. If it can stay this close, it's great to just be so locked in every single day to figure out who's going to be playing where. Absolutely. And it's just so exciting to have no idea how it will end up and just be waiting and seeing it. You know, weekend can change so much. A game can change so much. And especially back to the uh, American League. Uh, these ALS teams are playing each other down the stretch. So we'll see how that all works out. But regardless, it's going to be so much fun. Okay. I, I saw the name on here. I was ready for us to get back into Juan Soto. I will just turn it right over to you. 
What do you have on Juan Soto? I feel like it's been a little bit since we've been able to talk about him. Maybe, but perhaps we should have been. So we wrote a story for MLB.com today on um, on Wednesday where a handful of us chose one player whose season deserved more love. So the way this works is we get an email, we get a Google Doc, and the idea is, you know, it's kind of a draft, so put your player in, first come, first serve. I got that email. I was eating lunch. I was, there were no live games. I wasn't at my computer. I have never clicked anything <laughs> faster so that I could go in there and grab one. So, and about an hour later, I get a Slack message from Mike Petriello saying, just laughing. And I'm like, is this about Soto? And he's like, yes, I'm so glad you did that. So it was so funny. But, I mean, he's having one of his classic seasons. And I know things haven't gone great for the Padres on the whole. And I know, I mean, it's still long ago. But early in the year, I talked about how he got off to a slow start. First two and a half, three weeks. And since then, he has been him. He has been exactly who he has been his entire career. And so at this point, all of his season stats are just really, really good. And he is doing what he always does. Lowest swing rate in baseball. Second lowest chase rate. And then third highest percentage of swings resulting in hard contact. He waits for his pitch, and then he destroys it. So he has a 154 OPS plus this year, which means he will have a fifth qualified season in his career with at least a 140 OPS plus, which will be tied for the most by a player through his age 24 season. <laughs> With Mike Trout, Mickey Mantle, Jimmy Fox, and Ty Cobb. <laughs> and by the way, so he's played six seasons. In 2018, when he debuted, he ended up eight plate appearances shy of qualifying. He named 142 OPS plus in that year. So if instead of saying qualified season, we say minimum 190 plate appearances, so it's 2020 and then count. It would be his sixth season with at least a 140 OPS plus. The most of anybody through age 24. He is doing what he does. He has been so, so good. Entering today, Wednesday, he's reached base in 23 straight games. In that span, he's hitting 329 and slugging 659. I know the Padres are unfortunately out of it, but he has been so good. It's crazy how that sort of just sneaks up on you, and especially a player of that caliber. I mean, you don't really realize necessarily um, that he has been as excellent as he's been in the past. Um, I guess the only maybe small difference is that he's not his average isn't 
the same as it was those first few years in the Nationals. But as we've learned, and as much as I want to stay on average, I, that doesn't that doesn't tell the whole story. And of course, I I, I understand that, even though I, I still am an average truther. But it's fine. Um, but it's unbelievable that he's been. I mean, you look at the OPS. The OPS is over nine hundred, um, and just to be so consistent over the last few years and the fact that he's still only 24 like that's just such a wake-up call because it just seems like he's been around for so long and you think of this being only his age 24 season um there's so much Juan Soto left and to think if this is what he's been doing so far it would be it's just you can only imagine what he can will continue to do the longer that he's in this league um and I truly it's just been that sort of crept up on me on how good he's been because one, I think it's a little different now that he's on the West coast. I do think that there's a little bit, it's harder to keep up with uh, that. And the national spotlight might not be the same just because it's not that same prime time as East coast time games. And you hear that name so much more and he was just larger than life, I think in, in DC and at that all-star break, goodness gracious, when he was just had to field every question possible about where he would be going. But um, I think he's sort of in that same boat of Julio Rodriguez, where somehow he sort of is quietly being incredible and you don't really recognize it unless you're watching those games every single day. Um, But I mean, that's why we have Sarah Langs to constantly tell us on Twitter of all the most important Juan Soto stats. And that's been consistent since he's come up in, uh, since he came up. Goodness, what year was that? It's been a long time. 2018, he first came up. Goodness gracious, it's been a long time. Um, but that's why we have Sarah Langs to tweet out all this is Juan Soto goodies that we have been getting for years on end now um, to make sure that we all are recognizing, no matter what team he's on, just how good he is. And while we're talking about the team he is on, we should talk about Blake Snow, who is maybe going to win his second Cy Young Award this year. On Tuesday night, he came out, he threw seven hitless innings. It's between him, Justin Steele, Spencer Strider, and probably Zach Gallen for Cy Young. Still is going to be most likely the first guy ever to lead the majors in ERA and walks in terms of having the most walks and the lowest ERA, but he has been really, really good, even if you ignore the walks. And I do think coming out there and having a hitless outing. Now, we know hitless outings versus no hitters. No one used to have hitless outings because back in the day, you stay in the game till you gave up a hit. It was just a different game. It was a different mentality. So the fact that he threw seven hitless is certainly a product of recency. But regardless, he was unhittable. I know it was the Rockies, but he did a really, really good job. In his last 22 starts, he has 179 strikeouts and 19 runs allowed. He is the first pitcher since at least 1901 with 116 or more strikeouts and fewer than 20 runs allowed in any 22 game span. 
and he doesn't just have 160, he has 179. He has a 1.26 ERA in those starts. The only other pitcher with an ERA that low in a single season 22 short span since the mound was lowered was Jake Arrieta in 2015, one of the most dominant second half and portion of his season performances that won him a Cy Young. I encourage people to go back and look at what Zach Greinke and Clint Kershaw did that year because they were also really good, but Arietta won a deserving Cy Young. And Blake Snell is on this other level of dominance, and it's very exciting to see for him. We'll see how the offseason goes. He is a free agent. We'll see if he wins that award. Justin Seal has been very good and maybe talked about a bit less. Strider has every strikeout record. And Zach Allen has also been really good. But Blake Snell has just been pure dominance lately. I mean, we'll be taking a break in a second here, but I want to go back to how ridiculous that stat is. The first pitcher with at least 160 strikeouts and fewer than 20 runs allowed in a 22-game span since at least 1901. That's insanity. That's absolute insanity. And I know I know you have to judge a full season for all of these awards. You obviously judge a full season, and that goes back to what we were talking about with Otani, that the timing of the injury, yes, is weird, but like, yeah, you take in account of the full season. But it always just seems like there is recency bias whenever you're looking at some of these. And the edge can sometimes, and whenever there's, whenever there's guys who are really, really close, you can end up sticking with, okay, well, this guy has been unbelievable as of late. And that's sort of the one that sticks in your head and can sometimes give you the edge when you're trying to figure out a difference when sometimes some of these numbers are so close um that is as big of an edge as you can give anyone if you're trying to look at anything coming down the stretch here and again i know that the padres aren't really in it right now and i and i get that but still looking at individual performance at this time of the season to do that to be the first pitcher to do something like that since at least 1901 it's not something where yes the other stat was also incredible but you can say okay 2015 jake arietta did that no this one is since at least 1901 no one has ever done that that to me is just that's mind-boggling and i love when you throw stuff out there like that because it's just like it really puts context into some situations that you're like yeah he's been really good or he's been really on a run here. No, no, no. This is this is the level of the run he's been on. So um, if you're starting to think like, okay, could this be the guy? Whew, he's doing everything in his power to make sure people realize, yeah, he, he could win this award. Okay. I think we can take a quick break so that we can get into our favorite segment of the week. We'll have Alana Schreiber, our wonderful producer, join us. And we'll be going through our favorite moments from baseball over the last week. So stay with us. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah. And of course, we have our wonderful producer, Alana Schreiber, joining us for our favorite segment of the week, where we list our favorite moments from baseball over the last few days. Alana, I know you've been traveling a little bit. I wonder if anything from your travels is going to pop up here. Do you have your favorite moment? Yes, I do. So I've got two really quick ones. The first is Edwin Diaz. He is back looking healthy. He posted on his Instagram recently of him practicing, pitching in the bullpen. Mets fans have been through a lot this year. It's been a really disappointing season, and I think a lot of us are just looking for some sort of glimmer of hope into the next year. And I really think that just seeing him looking healthy again was really exactly what Mets fans need. The second quick thing, and this one requires a prop, But I'm intrigued. So I made this map of U.S. baseball stadiums. Uh, It's a map of the U.S. And I color in the stadiums as I try to go to them. And I finally hit 20. I am two-thirds of the way there. So I went to Orioles Rays last weekend. And I have to tell you, back in May, when I was picking out the games I wanted to go to this year, I said to my parents, like, hey, like, Let's go see Orioles Rays in September. I bet they'll be battling it out for top of the AL East. Little did I know that I would pick the very game where they were tied competing for first place, which felt very cool. It was amazing. I'd never been to Camden Yards before. Orioles fans are so electric, and I love how they sing O during the Star Spangled Banner. O say (laughs) Star Spangled Banner. It was crazy. It was such an amazing game. It was so cool to feel that Orioles magic that's just captured so many people this year. Um, I've been to eight games this year. This was most likely the last one. So it was really nice to leave 2023 with a very exciting final bang. That's awesome. And I grew up like Camden Yards was the closest ballpark to me growing up. Um, I didn't grow up near a big city. So um, it was about two hours away and I would always end up going down there and the park is beautiful and I know it I know it gets credit but like it's not really one of the big ticket ones where everyone's always like oh Camden Yards you got to make sure you get there um but I'm saying it oh Camden Yards I you better make sure that you get there because I really really do think it's one of uh the underrated parks across uh the country so I'm glad you were able to get there and congrats on hitting 20. Thank you. That's awesome. I love the map and uh, I love that ballpark. I got to go for the first time back in 2018 with my friend Marissa and we had so much fun at that ballpark. It was beautiful. At the time the team wasn't great and whoever they were playing was also not great. But it didn't matter. It's just such a beautiful ballpark to be there. And everything I've seen and heard on TV this year, amazing what that crowd does and just carrying the team. Definitely. It was really exciting. And, you know, I've seen a lot of Mets games this year, but it'll be cool to say I actually did see 
two teams that made the playoffs. <laughs> All right, Slangs, do you want to go ahead and give yours? I do. So I don't know what I was thinking mine would be when I was thinking over the course of the week, over the weekend. And then on Tuesday night, it became very obvious. So Bruce Argatterall, one of the great believers on the Dodgers, pitched in front of his mother for the first time as a major leaguer last night. He had not seen his mother in seven years. She was in Venezuela. And he is a very emotional guy. You see it when he pitches, and it's part of what makes him so endearing. And so he's pitching, and they're showing his mother up there in the suite, jumping up and down, reacting. He pitches a scoreless eighth, and he was crying as he came off the field. You can see the tears in his eyes. Dave Roberts gives him this huge hug and points up to where she is to make sure he sees her. They had obviously seen each other before the game, but making sure he knows where she was while he was pitching. And you just saw all of that emotion on his face, and it's just so incredible for their story to reach this point. And I learned something really cool from Joe Davis on the broadcast. His mother, Bruce's mother, Ismalia, was a softball player. And so he credits a lot of learning and loving baseball to her playing softball when he was growing up. So it's amazing either way, but I thought that little detail made it even more meaningful. But if you haven't seen it, it's on Dodgers Twitter, it's on MLB Twitter. I quote tweet it everywhere. But seeing this guy, this big leaguer, this tough guy, this emotional and strong and very, very strong competitor coming off the field, looking up, tears in his eyes. I mean, that's what's all about. It was absolutely incredible. That's like as wholesome as it gets, uh, which is the whole point of this segment and why we love doing it and love why we love talking about it. I tried to also pick a wholesome moment. And of course, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this because as much as I can, I try to choose children in baseball and... I think we got the best child in baseball moment that we could have gotten this week with Adam Wainwright and his son, Caleb. Oh my goodness. And if you have not seen any of the photos, video, whatever is out there, please go on X, formerly known as Twitter, and please search Caleb Wainwright because not only do you get some good stuff if you search that from this week, but it's been fantastic uh, just the top, the top posts that come up of him over the last few years. Oh my goodness. I completely forgot that he's already done this earlier in the year, uh, where he was up on, uh, Adam's lap and just sort of tapping the microphone and giving his dad a kiss on the cheek earlier in the year. Like this kid is fantastic, but, uh, Adam Wainwright hitting 200 wins, man of the hour comes in for the uh, post-game press conference alongside the real man of the hour, his son, Caleb. And Caleb was up there just chilling, 
uh, with his dad sort of just, you know, along for the ride with all the questions. Obviously, he's going to get a lot of questions after a milestone. And the my favorite moment of all of it is the photo that was taken of Caleb underneath the table. Yes. In front of the table, there's this nice little draped fabric over the top of it. So it doesn't just look like you have a card table sitting up on top of a platform. It's a little bit more bedazzled than that. It's nice. It's eloquent. And then you have this child who lifted up the curtain drape, whatever you (laughs) want to call it over the front and just has his head poking out with his head resting in his hands, his arms, elbows resting on the ground as if he couldn't be more bored. And he's just sitting there peering out into the audience of like, all right, you guys done asking questions yet? So my pops and I can roll out of here. Like, it is so funny to just see his face just sitting there so casual, so nonchalant, so unaffected by anything happening in that room. He's not bothered by the cameras or the reporters or people asking questions. He's just chilling and it is so funny and he completely stole the show as he should have. Um, He did it also peeking out through those curtains earlier this year uh, or like the little drape over the table. He threw out a first pitch this year. I mean, he's really been just everything for my favorite type of content in baseball. So I would like to thank Caleb Wainwright for giving me another wonderful (laughs) child moment in uh, Major League Baseball this week because it was adorable. Okay, so two things about that. One, we have to point out that he was in full uniform. Yes. Like, this is not a kid wears a little t-shirt that says, Daddy, which is always cute, or is wearing the jersey. He has the jersey, he has the hat at one point. He has on baseball pants. Like, he is in the full uniform which is very, very important. And the other thing is, I mean, I know this season has not overall gone the way Adam Wainwright would have wanted. And I know we're focusing on the adorable post-game moment, but I do think when we see players stick around, maybe at a point where their production is not always what they might have wanted, a lot of the reason they're doing it is for moments like this. For the fact that Caleb will remember his dad as major league pitcher. You know, he's a little guy. He might not remember last year as well. He might not remember two years ago. He was really little. And he seems to be getting to the age where he will always remember going to the ballpark, seeing his dad on the mound, knowing these moments. And I think we see with players, especially guys like Bryce Harper, who comes up as a kid, as a teenager, and we've seen them grow up, not just on the field, but as people over the course of their careers. And I think so many of them, when they have children, really have that change in perspective. Obviously, the goal every year is to win the World Series for your team and with your team. But so many of them talk about wanting to make sure their children remember these moments being able to share these moments with them. I remember uh, Paul Goldschmidt talking about that when he made the All-Star team. Uh, I think last year's All-Star team and talking about how his kids are old enough to remember it now. 
And I just think that that's an important perspective to fans, for fans to have as well. These guys dedicate their entire lives to doing this. And they miss so many moments with their children. So then being able to have that moment where they can have that core memory and that lasting memory, being in the ballpark with their child is something they so very much deserve. And if you search Caleb Wainwright, you'll see that they're trying so hard to make sure he has as many core memories as possible with his dad in full uniform. Every time you see him, I think that's why it slipped my mind to even mention it. Every time you see him, he's in full uniform. Like, I don't think I ever see him in any other clothes at the ballpark. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's all of the good things that you want in baseball. So do yourself a favor, search it, um, and your heart will thank you because it's just the best. Um, But that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.